Amen. You can go and take a seat. Thankful to pause in life and just focus in on the one who matters the most. And um, yeah, just so grateful uh, that this being Palm Sunday, we're going to hear more about that in a moment, but just uh, if he never rode into Jerusalem in his humility and went through what he went through this week, we wouldn't be gathered here. Uh, we wouldn't be together worshiping him, but he did. He came and he conquered and so grateful for Jesus. Well, this morning, um, we've got a treat. Uh, uh, a couple of friends of ours that have actually been with the Antioch movement for decades. They were with, uh, connected to us before half this room was born. Uh, and so uh, Ron and Janine, they uh, helped uh, start a church in uh, Austin, Hope in the City. And um, just for many years, such a sister church to Antioch and missions-minded and church planning and mobilizing people. Uh, and then the Lord called them uh, to go to the to the east, uh, far east, that is. And um, man, they've been doing a work amongst the peoples, and their heart is to reach the unreach to the earth for his glory, bottom line. So they've been doing that in these years, and just grateful to them. Uh, this is their first time here on a Sunday morning in all these years. So we just thought, hey, it's, uh, it's going to be a treat for everybody. So I want to invite up Janine. Come on up, Ron. Come on. Give my a round of applause. Hi, guys. What a delight to be with you. Don't you love it when your phone just flips onto something else? So. But I uh, asked if I could say just a few words first. And uh, I feel really teary. Now, anybody that knows me know that's not unusual, <laughs> but it is unusual at this stage in life, and I am so thankful. I just want to say how much we appreciate this school here, these people, the graduates. Ron probably is going to say that, but up in the city, a little bit to the east, north, where? It's Austin. West. West. <laughs> Sorry. What time is it? What day is it? Anyway, um, we uh, have had the privilege of having many graduates come in. In fact, we have kind of a one whole thing of our college, one whole section, and one whole section of the 20-somethings, but we're mostly from your part of the country here. And so we're you so can say You could say College Station, Brian's, yeah. Brian. Brian uh, College Station. Aggies, you can okay, say Okay, I can say that. You know, I'm so used to talking around things, living in the country that we live. <laughs> That's what I do. I never say anything direct. Anyway, I am going to say something direct right now. And what I want to say is just to remind you of the faithfulness of our God. He's so faithful, guys. The, um, the parish family has something that we call the, um, it's like the annuals or the book of the faithfulness of God. And we have so many chapters that we've written in this book that we tell our kids and our grandkids and we rehearse them and we talk about his faithfulness. And I, I just want to say that the faithfulness of God, the favor of God, is not something up there elusive and just that, oh, yeah, the favor of God. It is something very real that we anchor into in knowing his goodness and knowing his faithfulness. And so I just want to encourage you. I know there's some parents here for Parents Weekend, and I just want to encourage you guys that this is something that we, it's our inheritance 
is his favor. It's what we have to rest into. In the last, uh, Ron and I, I've been back overseas for the last 10 years. And during that 10 years, we've had four major brain injuries in our immediate family. And in each one of them, through the mercy of God, we have seen a miracle. And we saw another one a few weeks ago. Our son, our fourth grandson was born. Our son had his first son. Uh, Ron was still in Indonesia. I was in France training a team. And uh, the, our grandson was born 10 days early, so he beat us to the punch coming here. And, um, but he had, uh, there was trouble with the birth. And um, we were waiting for long-distance news, and it kept not coming. Couldn't figure out what was going on. And, and so because of the delay in the birth, he was diagnosed with mild to moderate brain damage as soon as he was born. And um, his parents couldn't hold him. They took him straight into the NICU. They put him on something that they call cooling. They cooled his body down to 90 degrees for three days, 72 hours. They couldn't lift, they couldn't touch him during those days. I mean, they touched him, they couldn't lift him up, hold him close. It was so hard for us, but we sent out the call for prayer. And I tell you what, guys, when you send out a call for prayer, God hears. He hears. We're not entitled to anything, but I tell you, if nothing had happened to Boone, if it had just been brain damage, we would have loved that boy just the same. We would have known that God is just as good. But out of his mercy and his faithfulness, he heard our cry. And at the end of three days, the doctors had said, we can't undo the damage that's done because of low oxygen during the birth process, but it will stop any further damage. When we came out of cooling, they raised his body temperature up. They said, you know, prepare for the seizures to start. There was not one single seizure. Not one. He was healed. Guys, he was healed. I've been with him this week. That's probably the tears. I've been living night and day. <laughs> Holding this precious inheritance of the future. Holding him and saying, God, you are so faithful. You changed his future. You did that. We didn't do that. You did that. And he went to the pediatrician right after he got the NICU. And the pediatrician said, this kid is advanced. He's not only not brain damaged, he's advanced developmentally. And so we just say, that is what God does. He doesn't do things halfway. He does this. And so I want to encourage you parents. I had a scripture I was going to read. My battery's probably gone down now. I've got a cra- I smashed my phone the day I arrived. And <laughs> anyway. So Just quote it from memory. I can't. But I'll tell you what it says. It's the end of, that, it's the end of Psalm 5. And uh, it's not, I don't have this one memorized. But it talks about that those who know the Lord, the righteous, that find refuge in him can be glad. And it talks about his faithfulness, that he is our protection over us. And in the end, and he says, he spreads his favor over us like a shield. And that's why I say his favor is something very real that we pray over our families, over our life. We claim it. We say, yes, I don't deserve this. This is a favor of God. And he is so faithful to give that favor as we dig down deeply into the wells of salvation, as we get to know him more. And so I just want to, I don't want to take any more of Ron's time, but I just want to encourage you that he is here and he is faithful. And I would encourage you to, if you haven't, to build a book or build a hallway that you walk down and you look at the, the ways that God has been faithful to your family, to reflect on those and to rehearse them and say, we're going to tell it to our children and let them tell it to their children and on and on. Because the spirit of God, it says in uh, Isaiah, it says the spirit that is in you will not depart from your mouth or their mouth or the mouth of their children. And that's what we de- desire and that's what we claim. Amen. 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 Have a mic. Have a mic.
this mic on? Is it on? Great. Thank you. She wants me to pray. Okay. Please pray. So, <laughs> so Lord, we are humbled that we serve a God so great, so mighty, so faithful, so loving and good. Lord, and we just declare again today, Lord, that your greatness Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So we expound that greatness this day. And Lord, I just ask today that you would remind every uh, parent in this place, whether their child is newborn or whether they're here as parents winking or they're here with their grandchildren. Lord, I ask that you would remind us of your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, I ask that you would kindle a fresh fire of digging deep into who you are, Amen. of finding refuge in you and recognizing that we are not, uh, we are not out of control. <laughs> we are pressing into you and we're believing for the inheritance. We're desiring, we're claiming the inheritance that you speak Amen. of in your word, Lord. Amen. So we just say, come Holy Spirit, even today, even today, a fresh kindling of fire of a, an awareness, an awareness of who you are and what you have for us, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, <clears throat> Antioch College Station. Good morning. It is, uh, and I, you know, I'm, this is not just a platitude. It's really an honor to be here. Thank you so much, Tyler, Ashley, for being our friends and inviting us to be part of this. We have, uh, we have such a debt of love to you guys. First of all, let me tell you, um, we hosted a number of your teams in 2018. And I, uh, Janine and I oversaw about half of the bases, and there were a couple of Aggie teams. They were stellar, stellar. And as some of you, hey, wave at me if you got to go to Indonesia a couple years ago. There they are. Awesome. So you're invited back. There's a lot more harvest to be had there. So if you ever have a short-term team, come on. We welcome Aggies. So uh, speaking of Aggies, I grew up watching Texas A&M play football from my earliest memories, Thursdays, Thanksgiving Day, or sometimes Fridays. But I'm just going to keep it real. I was rooting against your team. <laughs> I, I grew, I was born in Austin. Janine and I were born in Austin. And I went to that other school, and all three of my kids went to that other school. But listen, the Word of God says in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. Aggie or T-Ship. We're all one in Jesus, right? So please don't hold it against me that uh, I actually wear burnt orange. And, uh, but I always root for the Aggies when they're not playing my team. I have a son-in-law that's an Aggie. And my guess is probably out of the four grandsons that I have, they'll probably come to this school too, the way it's going. And we'll be for it. We'll be, we'll, I won't root for your team when they're playing your team, but I will be for them. Um, so today we're going to talk about Palm Sunday, and I, uh, I'm, I'm like the disciples. You'll read this story in a minute, but they didn't fully get it when it happened. And so for years for me, Palm Sunday was uh, the donkey and palms, you know? And so we literally, for the 20 years we were pastors in Austin, most of those years on this Sunday, it was a big day, not as big as Easter, but... We would literally hand out palm branches. On, so during the service, you know, we were all doing that. But if you read the story carefully, they actually threw their palm branches down, yep. and Jesus rode his donkey over them. 
But the point is, it's way more than you think. It's way more than just palm branches and donkeys. So I want us to read the passage. Uh, it's found in uh, my. It's found in a couple of the Gospels. John chapter twelve, verse twelve starts this way, and I would have us all read it together. But I'm going to interrupt myself. So, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, Passover, Jerusalem probably multiplied its population ten times, tenfold during that Passover celebration. So there were a lot of people there. And by the way, this crowd that welcomed Jesus, we always associated with a group that the next day said, crucify him. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe some of these guys were the real deal followers of Jesus and, and loved him and didn't say crucify him the next day. Uh, they had heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. And uh, I think it's in Matthew says they also took their clothes or cloaks and put, in, put them down on the path for Jesus to come into Jerusalem. This part we're going to read together. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who come, uh, comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. That didn't sound like a shout. That sounded like a little mumble from some of you. So how about if we kind of reenact this by just standing up and saying it as if Jesus were present among us, which he is. He's not on stage, but he's among us, you know. So let's say it as if they were saying it. Ready? We're starting with Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. That was good. One more time. How about that? Ready? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Amen. That was good. Have a seat. And then Jesus found a young donkey. In Matthew it says it was an untamed donkey. In other words, he had never, never been ridden. So Jesus was kind of a, a rodeo guy the first uh, time around. He tamed it. And he sat on it. As it is written, say he's quoting from Zechariah right now. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. And I bet some of you don't get the significance of this day, of the Palm Sunday, we call it. One of my favorite days in the church calendar, because over the years, there's been more and more like, whoa, Whoa, that was a significant event. We'll come back to it. When after Jesus, only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him. In other words, the prophecies in the Old Testament. And that these things had been done to him. Now, what are they talking about? Are they talking about the crucifixion? I don't think so. I think they're talking about the declaration that he is king was something done to him. The, the shouts, the honor, all of that is something you and I could actually do to him. And that's significant because as we sang and as our hearts turned to him today, it warmed his heart. He found joy and delight in it. And it's a get to. It's not like we got to do this because we're Christians. It's like because of this love relationship, he's worthy of all of our adoration. And by the way, if, if you've come from a church background that's kind of 
more subdued and uh, contemplative and all that, that's great. God, you, we connect with God in different ways. But worship is, is so often vocal, and it's not quiet. My quiet time is not quiet. You can ask my wife. There's prayers of adoration, prayers of gratitude, and, and, and sometimes they get really loud. It's not quiet. But that's an aspect or expression of worship. So some of you, for this is kind of a shock how expressive this church was. Hey, we're just following the example of these very first believers who said, man, our bodies are involved in bringing honor to Jesus. Hands raised, you know, or dancing or whatever. Uh, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead just days before, continued to spread the word. So no wonder there's a huge crowd here. Oh, yeah, that prophet from Galilee who's performed signs and wonders of all kinds. John said books couldn't contain them of all the miracles he did. Now, I know a lot of you have watched The Chosen, and there's usually one miracle an episode. But actually, the ratio was probably more than that. Jesus, I mean, by the way, that's my favorite part of the chosen is when Jesus is enjoying healing someone. You know, and you think, he, he did that a lot. Many people, say many. many. Many people, because they had heard he had performed these signs, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world is going after him. And we like that part because they were super frustrated at the devotion and honor to Jesus. Now, there's a depiction that I came across uh, for this message that I kind of liked a, a picture of uh, someone painted about this. My guess is the crowds were probably 10 times larger, but it does show Jesus, you know, riding over the palm branches and, and the cloaks. Uh, palm branches represented, and actually before this event, in that culture represented or symbolized victory, triumph, peace, and eternal life. Wouldn't Jesus be worthy of, you know, palm branches? Because <laughs> that's who, what's happening here. And, and one of the things that's happening that I'm growing in understanding is that this event answered so many questions. The obvious question is, who really is the one spoken of in the Old Testament? Who is the one that the prophets pointed to saying he is the Messiah? He is the one coming in humility. They didn't understand the full picture. They didn't understand that he would, after he died, he'd be raised again. Tyler will be talking about that next week. No one got that part, but they got it afterwards. But Jesus, in this sense, is saying, I'm the guy they were talking about. I'm the guy Zechariah was referring to uh, when he said, <clears throat> Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. In other words, the juxtaposition of ultimate humility and ultimate worthiness of being worshipped. And that's who he is. Uh, it was so significant as Jesus, people had heard of this miracle worker, this itinerant rabbi who did miracles, who taught brilliant things. And, they, and then the question came up for them, is this the one spoken of? And so literally for three years, no one had literally declared, you're the king, nor had Jesus said, I'm the king. 
He told a lot of parables of the kingdom, referring to him as the king, but he never openly declared it. This is the unveiling. This is the like, he's the king. And Jesus receiving the worth and honor of that title. And in our culture, it's hard to understand how kings are kings. I mean, they are large and in charge. Whatever they say goes. And a lot of Christians don't live fully under king, the kingly reign of Jesus. And in our world, the kingly reign of Jesus is not fully experienced yet. And that's why we're praying or told to pray, kingdom of God, come. Will of God be done. And we're part of that kingly reign of Jesus being known in our world and in our time. This is also looking forward. Jesus was looking back and saying, that, hey, that was me. But he, he's reenacting the prophecy. He's literally reenacting the prophecy, but he's prophesying with it. Yeah. He's saying, there's a day coming in which all the world will know that, that I am king. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, ruling and reigning in this earth. He's telling of something that we all have not yet experienced. There's, a, there's so many places this is found. Look at uh, Habakkuk pa uh, Pasal, chapter 2. I, I normally speak in Bahasa Indonesia, not in English. <laughs> For the earth will be filled with the knowledge. Let's read this one together. This is too cool. Ready? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I live in a nation with 13,000 islands. I know about oceans and how waters cover the sea, and I get to swim in the ocean a lot. But the point is, that has not yet happened. And so God's story, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, is a story of his glory, a story of him making himself known so that we might be, be join in his glory, so we might glorify him, we might obey him, we might honor him, we might live for that glory, and in turn, we join it somehow. We, we become what we worship. And so as we worship the living God, our lives are changed. But even if nothing happened to us when we worship, he's worthy of being worshiped. Yes. He's worth it. It's so fitting and right to love him as king and to know him that way. Uh, years ago, we, we moved, and Tyler didn't mention this, but we're actually on round two living in Indonesia. We went there when I was 28, had two little daughters. We had a son born there. We lived there from 1983, and that for sure is before a lot of you were born, till 1992, so a nine-year deal. We were thinking we were going to be there the rest of our lives, and God had a different plan. We really wanted to be there. We lost our visas. We ended up pastoring this church in Austin called Hope Chapel, which sent out a lot of churches, one of them being Hope in the City which we also, uh, we did a reverse church plan. The point in all that is, of all the things that motivate us to live in a place like Indonesia and to leave Texas and leave what we love about Texas and leave two of our three kids and to leave a, a dynamic church that we loved, we, we served it, and they were like family. We were like super close, and some of them are here. But the point is, we were motivated by, you know, 
God's love. We were motivated by the fact that there's no access to the gospel for many of these people. But most of all, listen carefully, most of all, we were motivated and still are. And what's sustaining us in this journey is that we know that God is worthy of worship among all people. Wherever there's an island, wherever there's a populated island, wherever there's peoples in which the name of Jesus is not known and honored, that's not right. And so we want to be part of this plan of God revealing himself through the message of Jesus to these people. So imagine, just put yourself in this, this experience. I've had this before many times. I'm part of a baptism, and there's a crowd of, you know, hundreds from this particular town or village. And they're witnessing these people be baptized, and they've never seen it before. They've never even heard of that, that, that practice. And they're, they're witnessing people being baptized. And as they do, each of these people are telling why they believe in Jesus and why are they following him. And the whole community is actually Muslim. And so they're hearing for the first time about Isa al-Masih. And they're witnessing people's lives being transformed, not through just being dunked, but through what's happening as they're obeying Jesus. And you realize that this, the name of Jesus is being known in Sawahan or Wawandula or Bekasi or whatever, the cities that I've witnessed baptisms in and been part of the first disciple being yeah. in that village now being baptized. Wow. Guys, there is nothing that compares to that. Why? Because we love and honor Jesus and for him to be known among these people. We're like, woo, it's <laughs> dynamic. It's wonderful. And part of it, there's also a kind of a righteous, like, hold it, this is not right. Paul felt it in Athens when he walked around the city, and it was full of idols, and he's going, this is not right. The scripture says he was troubled. He was troubled. And I can relate to that. We used to live in a, a house in the area of uh, Bali, not far from where we saw you guys, or saw Tyler and Robert and your boys uh, over the time when teams came to Indonesia, and it's an area called Sanur, not far from the beach, maybe 10 minutes, and we lived in this one dead-end street, and the day or two after we moved in, we noticed, man, there's just people dressed in their ceremonial garbs. Bali is predominantly Hindu, and so they're, they're walking past our house, and they're going down to the end of the block, and they're presenting their offerings, and something's happening down there. So I, I kind of wandered down the street, and saw where they were going in, and I, you know, I said, hey, can I come in? And came into their garage, and there they had a big statue of an idol. And I don't remember its name. There were literally thousands of gods and goddesses in Bali. They also worshiped their ancestors. And so this particular god was there, and the person greeting me said, and they were like, oh, a foreigner. This is cool. Uh, and, and they were happy, and they were gracious, you know, and I, I wasn't quite as gracious. They said, uh, I said, what's the name of your God? They, I don't remember the name. Like I say, there's thousands of gods there. What does this God do? Oh, this God helps people that are in trouble. I said, really? He said, do you have a problem? And I said, I do. But you know what? I turn it over to a God that, was, that created that spirit, a, God, a bigger God, a way cooler God. And I got carried away. 
And it's not a way to make friends and neighbors, uh, you know. <laughs> but it was the Spirit of God saying only He's worthy. And I can't tell you how many Hindus I've known that have said, yeah, I want to receive Jesus. Yeah. Now, but hold it. This means that he's the big boss, big boss. He's the one that literally the only one that we honor from here on out. He is way above all those other gods. And it's kind of like backpedal. I'm not sure I could do that. But that's the only way it works. It actually works in this culture as well. Can you believe it that Americans have other gods as well? There are, there are other idols. There are other things that call our devotion and our thoughts and our attention that literally in some ways replace Jesus. So he's large and in charge. He's Lord of all or not Lord at all. And, and that's a reality in following him. So we are enacting this very thing when we want the glory of God to be expressed through our daily lives and among those who don't worship him yet. And that is tied in deeply with this. John Piper said, missions exist because worship doesn't. There are communities and islands and whole people groups. In, in our nation, there are people groups with millions. They have their own ethnicity, their own language, their own culture. And yet the percentages of Jesus followers is so small that it's like it'd be impossible to find those followers of Jesus among those people. Let me give you an illustration that came to mind. How many of you have ever been to Kyle Field? <laughs> Almost all of you. I haven't, except from the outside. I would love to go, though, really, literally. And in, and in Kyle Field, I've been told that it holds 102,600 people or 800 people, something like close to 103,000. So those of you that have been there have probably seen it full. And imagine that stadium full, and the people that are all out there have dark hair, brown skin, and they call themselves Sunda people, or they call themselves Bugis people, or they call themselves... And there's probably 127 of these tribal groups in Indonesia that could fill that stadium. And if the loudspeaker came on and said, those of you that know Jesus and follow him and believe he's the way that your sins are forgiven and he's God, stand up. And quite honestly, you know how many people would stand up in that stadium? Ten? In some cases, a hundred. But imagine in that stadium, a hundred, and you're looking around and going, man, there's a lot of people seated. And a lot of those people have never heard. A lot of those people have no idea. I meet people, most of the people I meet and share with have no idea who Jesus is. I told the GIE people, the people that came that summer, you're going to meet people that have never heard the story. And they're like, yeah, right, right, right. And then in debrief, they'd go, we did. We met so many people that have never heard about Jesus. So come on, join us in uh, Bali. Now, I want to, I told you the, the story of his glory and every a major section of the Bible, there's this process of God revealing himself, and it's all about being known so that people could know him and encounter his love. He's all about that. From Genesis to Revelation, the story of his glory, that is the major theme of the Bible. And God being known as king was the major ministry of Jesus. And all this makes Palm Sunday like a 
like a spike in the graph, man. But it's not the culmination. The culmination is in Revelation chapter 7, and I think we have it. And it's the multitudes that had gathered. And as I look, verse 9 of chapter 7. There before me was a great multitude. No one could count. You know, no one could count. From where? From every nation. Ethne, ethnic group. Every tribe, every tongue, every language. And standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing their white robes and were holding palm branches. So we weren't off. At, the, at, at Hope in the City to hold palm branches because that's what we're going to do in the future. Holding branches that represent what? Victory. Triumph. Peace. Eternal life. Humility. So these things we're, we're doing, we're in that crowd, by the way, but not just us. Not just us from Texas or from whatever country you're from, but it says from every language group. And this is what they were saying. In fact, I think it'd be great if we said it together because we need some practice. Ready? And they cried. This is verse 10. Verse 10. Ready? Ready? Let's say it together. And they cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Man, one more time. Salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. And then it says, it goes on in verse 12, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And in a minute, we're going to come back to that. So I want to make it really practical right here. This is how I want to land the plane. The thing that you and I can do as a takeaway from that event is to become the kind of worshipers that God delights in. And it's up to us. We can do these things as they did to Jesus. We can, we can honor him with our lives in a couple of practical ways. Now, there's all kinds of ways, and some of those things you're probably doing, you know, listening to worship music and, and singing along throughout the week, not just Sunday, but throughout the week, uh, taking time, uh, and this is super important to me, is taking time every day and I've done this for decades, to pray prayers of gratitude, to pray prayers of adoration, and to pray prayers of surrender. There's all kinds of other prayers that we pray, but at least those three. Say it with me. Gratitude, gratitude. Adoration, adoration, and surrender. surrender. All those are worshiping the living God. And we're becoming those kinds of worshipers if we say, hey, before anything else today, well, for me, before anything else but making a cup of coffee because God's not really, God's real, but he's not real to me until there's a little caffeine going in there. Gratitude, literally, I, I'll spend a good chunk of time on gratitude. That's my wife. And, and then adoration, all kinds of ways. Let me, let me give you an example. Jump down to filling the empty space of your day, the mindless activity with, with adoration. I swim in the ocean. And I do the ABCs of adoration. I start with every word that comes to mind that describes the character of God that starts with the letter A. And then I go through the alphabet. And my, I get out, and man, I'm refreshed, but my soul is refreshed even greater because I've turned my heart, my thoughts. And when I'm swimming on my back, I'm speaking it out. You are, you are uh, I jive. 
That's Indonesian. Uh, you're adored. You're, you're always. You're Abba. You're affirming. You're the Alpha and the Omega. And it's just, I feel my thoughts and my mind with the character of God. I acknowledge who he is. And that's worship at its bottom basic element. And we continually throughout the day say yes to him and, and his invitations. Because this is my, my experience. And the worship band can come up. I'm, I'm landing this plane. Um, throughout the day, I've, I've, this is how I imagine my day. And this is reality. It's reality for you. I get these little invitations throughout the day. I'm, I'm going along. I'm trying to survive driving a motorcycle on the narrow streets of Bali. And my mind just goes, it's like I, I'm just, in my heart, I'm just like turning to the face of God. And I'm, I'm singing. It's coming out of my heart. Or I'm doing my ABCs of adoration. Or I'm, I'm, I'm turning my heart to him at his invitation. And I'm experiencing his presence throughout the day. And then finally, we live with one overarching primary passion. We all who follow him live with one overarching primary passion. That he be worshipped among all the peoples of the earth. That he be honored in a way that he's not currently honored. And so all of us are missional. All of us are called to live for the glory of God. All of us are called to give our lives that he might be known and loved and honored and obeyed for who he is. Does anybody agree with that? Does that stir any of you to say, man, I want to I notch it up, man. I want to I be the kind that would be out there in Jerusalem where I born at that time, but I can do that right now among all the peoples of the earth, and God has brought the nations to Texas A&M. And so among those people, we want them to worship God. So here's how I want to close it. Two ways, two prayers. First prayer from me for you guys is this. How many of you have had, not just today, but in your past, this yearning desire that I had when I was a freshman in college that said, pick me, pick me. I want to live among peoples that don't know you in order to make you known, i.e., in a cross-cultural situation, probably the one that you'd have to get on a plane and go somewhere else. I want to live among people in which the percentages of believers are so small so that I could be part of this great story of God's glory among them, having them join us at the throne in the age to come, worshiping God. How many of you, I'm just going to just be bold here. How many of you have had that stirring and you say, Ron, that's me. So stand up. And I'm not, I'm not telling you you're signing up to go to the nations, but you're saying I've had that stirring. Stand up. I want to pray for you guys first. Look around. Isn't that cool? I, you guys, you guys need a, we need a, we need a, yeah, this is going to happen. You guys are going to send out more and more people to the nations. Amen. And maybe you can come. Come on. So put your hands out like this, like you're receiving a, a beach ball. Those of you standing, I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for people that <laughs> I, I can relate to these people. For 50 years of my life, I could relate to these people, saying, I want my life to bring you great glory among the peoples of the earth. 
I want to be those that declare you as king and call others to say, come with me. He's worth it. He is worth it. He's worth it. And so, Father, whatever they need to do, for me, it was a 10-year journey from the freshman to being on a plane. It was a 10-year intentional journey. And so may this be intentional for these guys. And what they study and what they do, how they prepare the spiritual disciplines in their life, how they are launched in the name of Jesus. Train them well. Send them out with the right team to the right nation in the name of Jesus. Now I want to invite anyone else to seated that you say, Ron, I want to grow. I feel, I feel spurred to do something new about my week. Maybe something I've mentioned or something you've done in the past that you've kind of let fall away. But in some way, to do what the psalmist said, I will glorify you more and more. It's not just from, it's not just a one activity, but it's multiple creative ways to do that. And I want to grow in that. And I want you to, I want to invite you to stand now because I want to pray for all of you. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, my brothers and sisters that are standing, I just say, Lord, let them hear your invitation to look to you. Let them hear their invitation to open their mouths and acknowledge who you are, which is the basis of worship. May they be people who you are searching for, Jesus said, throughout the earth, worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen. I'm going to invite Tyler up. But I just want to wave two books at you. One of them is on on. 101 creative ways to, to encounter God, and there are all kinds of ways, and, and probably 10 ways to worship, and 10 ways to do gratitude, and at least 10 creative ways to do uh, other kinds of disciplines. And this is a book for those of you that have never or always struggled maybe with a devotional life. This is the why and the how-to. It's super practical, and it's called From Duty to Delight. They're back there in the welcome room. Sorry to give that advertisement, but uh, love being with you guys. Grace and peace. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that good? <laughs> you know, here, here's where I want to end. I, I just love the emphasis on God's glory. And um, just as Ron was sharing, their main motivation, it is about the hurting, the broken, social justice. It is about reaching people. It is about all those different elements. But the main thing is it's for him. It's for him. It's for his glory that God gets his. And I love that stirring and just want to reemphasize even for all of us that we live here in Bryan College Station or if you're in town for the weekend that if you're living here right now in this land that there are places in our week where God is not being glorified, where Jesus is not known, where he is not king, to where there is darkness, where there are garages filled with idols. And just the stirring in me was, man, you, God, God never says wait to engage with my mission. He, he may relocate, but he doesn't say wait. We have the opportunity every day. We have breath to engage. So I just want to encourage us, whether you're coaching a kid's sports team or in your class at A&M or 
in your office or in your neighborhood or at a restaurant you frequent or a coffee shop, if you're there and you just praying and say, Lord, I just don't know if I sense that you're being glorified here, that you're even known, then just pray and say, Lord, how do you want me to partner with you in making you known in this space? Lord, how do you want me to partner with you and that maybe you could be glorified here? Not just in these arenas, but Lord, would, would you reveal to me the places that are dark, that are oppressed, that are muted, that are whatever it is, and say, God, invite me in, because you could be a missionary now. Ron and Janine didn't start caring about the glory of God or Jesus being known just when they went to Indonesia. <laughs> um, it was every day. And so I just want to encourage us to do that. I'm just going to pray real quick before we end our time of worship, that God would reveal to us that space. Because I do believe there is a space and a place for everyone in this room, if you, were, if you were willingly receive it from him, to say, hey, that's a current mission field. And really what that means is, I want God to be known. So how do I do that, Lord? And he's going to give you the creativity, and he's going to give you the stirring. Say, Lord, that's my spot. So, Lord, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you'd reveal to everyone in the room, everybody watching, that you'd reveal to them the space and the place where your glory is not known, where it's not amongst the people. Would you make us like Paul walking around Athens and saying, this isn't right? Would you, would you give us favor into places that are dark or that are oppressed or that are void? of your presence and of your name. And would you say, hey, that's your spot. It's that coffee shop. It's that apartment complex. It's that classroom. It's that workplace. It's that part of town. It's, it's these relationships. It's this kind of social group. Jesus isn't known there, but I know him. So Lord, give me creativity. Give me boldness. Give me courage and give me humility and making your name known among them so that they can hear and some have already heard and they've rejected or they've grown numb, but they can hear again. You're God of second and third chances. So I pray just even for us the people, we would not harden our hearts towards those that have already heard and have said no, or I'm too busy, or I'm not interested. But we would re-engage, say, well, he's still interested. He's still available. He's still ready for you. Lord, we pray, let us be missional here and now. In Jesus' name, amen.